Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. So I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again. That is what we are here to do, to celebrate the risen and reigning king. I actually had this memory of growing up of this call and response that we used to do during Easter time where the preacher would get up and say, he is risen and the congregation would yell back, he is risen indeed. If you're uncomfortable with this, you don't have to participate, but I thought I would bring that back. So I'm gonna say he is risen. You guys call back, he is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. That's what we are here to praise Jesus for. The turning point of all of human history, the fact that Jesus faced sin and death in a head-on battle and arose victorious. He is the only human being to ever go into the grave and under his own power come up again. And as we'll see in a moment, that truth, it changes everything. And uh, I, I just know at a, at a church the size of hope, there's gotta be a lot of people that are maybe listening in for the first time or joining at one of our campuses that are kind of sitting back being like, y'all, y'all really believe that? Like a literal physical resurrection? Like it's, it's the sentiment we celebrate, right? The symbolism, life over death, but a real physical resurrection. That might happen in sci-fi movies, but not in real life. And I wanna let you know that if that's you, doubting that Jesus really did rise from the grave, you're not alone. In fact, you're in good company. And the thought that Jesus couldn't have risen from the grave, instead, someone must have, have stolen or moved the body and this whole story uh, be created. That's something that actually the disciples and all the followers of Jesus thought as well. In fact, I wanna bring you back to that first Easter 2000 years ago, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, Jesus was crucified around 9 a.m. on Friday. He breathed his last around three, uh, 4 p.m. that Saturday of Passover. And and he was in the grave all Saturday night, all Sunday, all uh, Saturday night. And then on Sunday morning, I don't know if you know this, but there was no like banner on Jesus's tomb that said, welcome back, Jesus. Um, his followers had not pulled up lawn chairs around and were counting down three, two, one, like happy second birthday, Jesus or whatever. Uh, instead, I want you to see what happens. It says this in John chapter 20, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And this is Mary, a follower of Jesus, not the mother of Jesus. And Luke's gospel tells us that she was joined uh, by a few other women. And the reason they were coming under the cover of darkness was to anoint Jesus's body with spices and with oils to kind of control the smell of the decomposition, which is a weird thing to do to a three day old dead body. Is it not like when you bury great aunt Sue, you don't dig her up three days later and like re-embalm her, right? No, but we have to remember that this, Jesus was in a borrowed tomb at this point. He had borrowed the tomb from Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy but secret follower of Jesus. And uh, so they knew that Joseph would need that tomb again one day. So the followers had to figure out where are we gonna move Jesus? And it's easier to move him on the third day as opposed to later, which I find is really humorous. It means that Jesus at some point pulled Joseph aside and said, hey, I hear you have a tomb. Can I borrow it? Like that's not something you borrow. That's something you use once and you're kind of there forever. But he was like, Joseph, three days tops and I'll have it back, I promise. So this is why Mary was there. But notice she goes under the cover of darkness. She goes at a time with the other woman where she, she knows that she won't be seen. And it's because at that point in time, Jesus is public enemy number one. 
He had just been executed by the state. And so they just knew, Jesus' inner circle knew if they could, the authorities could tie them back to Jesus, the same might happen to them. But it says this, when she got there, she found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. She didn't say, hey, Peter, I think he's risen from the grave. No, she knows that he's dead and he's still dead. She just assumes that someone had moved the body. But notice her countenance. It says Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. And she saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? Why are you in despair? Why are you so sad? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they put him. And we'll come back to that story in a moment. But notice she's weeping. She's crying. She's confused and she's fixated on this, this body of her Lord. Where's the body? Have to find the body. Have to care for the body. Why is that? Well, I think that her whole world had fallen apart as she watched Jesus breathe his last on the cross just a few days ago. And when he had died, her hope had died and her, her, her future had died and her worldview had died. Her whole entire life had come crumbling down. And the only thing that she has left is caring for the body, caring for the body. I have to care for the body of my Lord. Or was he even her Lord at that point? Maybe she just referred to him that way out of habit, but the fact that he was dead kind of disproved his Lordship. I mean, Jesus was the one that said, I am the resurrection and the life. But he, that she doesn't think he's been resurrected. He's the one that said, in just a little while, I'm gonna leave you, but I will be back, and he hadn't come back. He was the one that said, destroy this temple or this body, and I will rise it again, I will raise it in three days, and that hadn't happened. Now, all of that seemed to have been proved untrue. And maybe she was thinking back to the long line of false messiahs that were in Israel's history. There were dozens of men who proclaimed to be the Messiah, the Savior sent of God, but they all ended up the exact same way as Jesus, murdered, dead, and in a grave. So maybe Jesus was just like them, just a fraud. And while all this was swirling around in her head, it was swirling around in the head of all of Jesus' disciples and followers, verse 19 says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. All of them were afraid. All of them were distancing themselves from Jesus. All of them were weeping and crying. John says the majority of them were filled with doubt. Like, is he really who he said he was? How can we believe anything that he's ever said if this is his end, death? Like he was supposed to be different. He was supposed to be unique and now he's just like every other mortal human. He was born, he lived, and he died. And listen, if the resurrection isn't a reality, if the resurrection really isn't a historical fact, then all of us should have those thoughts as well. In fact, Paul's really bold in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking to a group of people that are kind of like, resurrection, eh, I don't know if that can really happen in this world. And this is what he says. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. That word useless, it means, it means vain, foolish, empty, hollow. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we've said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins because he's not the savior that he said he was. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. 
And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. He's being really honest. He's saying if Christ is not raised, then this whole Christianity stuff is useless. If Christ is not raised, then our sins are not forgiven. If Christ is not raised, then there hasn't been a single person that has ever died that has ever made it into the gates of heaven. And Paul, who devoted his later years to proclaiming the gospel, says, if Christ is not raised, and when I look at my life, it's pointless. It's useless. It's all in vain. You see, all of Christianity hinges on the fact of a historical resurrection. If you take that away, you can throw everything else away as well. And that's the conclusion that Mary and Peter and John and all of Jesus' followers have slowly been coming to over the past few days. This is why they had given up hope. This is why they were in despair. This is what life is like without a resurrected Savior. I mean, it's hopeless. If Jesus is not the Savior that he says he was and our sins are not forgiven, what do we have to look forward to in the future? At the worst, hell that we cannot escape because we have no Savior. Or at the very least, all of Christianity is untrue, so it's just nothingness. There's despair like the brokenness that we see in the world, just the violence and just the darkness and also the brokenness we see in our own hearts, the selfishness and the shame and the pride and the violence and the anger, that power that we call sin, it has not been defeated. So there's no hope that it will. We're just stuck in this darkness and brokenness forever. Just pointless. Life has no meaning. Life has no purpose. Life without a resurrected savior is a hard pill to swallow. And some of you know that. Some of you have felt that, that hopelessness, that despair, that that lack of purpose. But what his followers soon found out and what I wanna tell you this morning is that the opposite is true. As Mary's standing there kind of weeping, John tells us, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. And it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. I don't know if he got like a shave and a haircut or something, but there's something about like his glorified body that's similar but different. And look at his compassion. Dear woman, why are you crying? This is not a time to despair. He says, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener, which is a whole nother sermon. We lost perfection in the garden of Eden. Now Jesus is bringing it back in the garden of Gethsemane. But sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And there's something in his tone that was familiar and she just recognizes him. And she cries out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And apparently she just puts him in a big old bear hug. And Jesus says, don't cling to me. Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father. I love that. To my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave him his message. So Mary, the first eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, the one to whom Jesus gave the mission uh, and the charge, go proclaim that I am alive, her whole countenance changes. She goes from weeping to joy. She goes from despair to excitement to hope. And by the way, if you do think the resurrection was just kind of like a made up story that the disciples uh, fabricated in order to, to get wealth, in order to get acclaim first, none of the disciples experienced that sort of life. They all lived in relative poverty and every single one except for John who was exiled to a deserted island, all the rest were martyred for their faith. So think think about that. They would rather die than say, you got me. It was all a joke. 
right? We just made this up. Please don't light me on fire, right? So either they are the most committed con people that the world has ever seen or this really happened. But secondly, if you were trying to start a new religion and you were making up a story back in those days, you would not pick a woman as the only eyewitness to the resurrection at first, right? Because back in those days, women were seen as less than, not in Jesus's eyes, but in the Roman world, and they couldn't testify in court. So that's the last person you would pick if you were trying to make up a credible story, which I think lends even more validity to the truth of the resurrection. But we see Mary's whole countenance change, and not just hers, but the disciples as well. And I wish I had time to read you all the verses, but one by one, they come out of the shadows, they come out of hiding, they come out of the fear of the authorities, and they see their risen Lord face to face. And they get to touch him. They get to, to hang out. They have like fish fries on the beach. It's awesome. They get to hang out with him uh, for 40 days. In fact, uh, he shows up to 500 people at one time. People that were alive at the time that the Bible was written. People you could go and ask. People that could have easily disproved the resurrection. But two of one said, no, no, no. I saw it with my own eyes. It's true. And his followers just com uh, completely were transformed. Just a few weeks later, you can read about this in the book of Acts. The disciples begin openly preaching about this, this resurrected Savior in, in the city, in the temple, everywhere they could. Uh, they see Jesus through his spirit heal people. They see thousands upon thousands of new followers and they see their life be transformed as well. And at one point when those authorities that they were so afraid of just a few chapters ago, when they arrest a few of the disciples and warn them, you have to stop preaching about this risen Christ or we're gonna kill you. They look them in the eyes and say, eh, no, thank you. <laughs> we gotta keep on preaching because we're gonna obey our father instead of you. And they go from fear to boldness. They go from despair to courage. They go from sadness to joy. And what made the difference? It was the resurrection, right? The resurrection changes everything. And it's the same with us. I've been thinking a lot about this. The resurrection, it changes your past. See, if Jesus really did rise from the grave, if he really uh, did accomplish what he came here to accomplish, that means that, you know, he didn't just come here to preach a few good sermons. He didn't just come here to, to heal a few sick people. He came to save us from our sins. He came to live the life that none of us could live. Perfect, holy, spotless, righteous. He came to pay the penalty or the debt that we owe God to die on the cross for our sins. He came to remove the power of sin. And because he uh, was risen from the grave, that means that he accomplished that. You know what that means? It means that all that stuff in your past and my past, that stuff that you're ashamed to tell anyone else about, that stuff that just holds you down, that stuff that you think disqualifies you from any sort of future because of Jesus, it's been washed clean. It can be forgiven. It's been redeemed, right? The resurrection also changes your future. Now that he's resurrected, it means that he defeated the power of sin. It's like all those years, your hands were kind of in bondage. That, that, that power that has kept you back and has held you down, those chains have finally been released. You can pursue the things of God. You can be transformed. You can walk into the life that God has designed you for. And not only did he defeat our old enemy of sin, he also defeated death. So now that when we think of death, and all of us will die one day, last time I checked, the rate's like 100%, right? But when we think of that, we do not have to fear. Jesus showed us what it'll be like. 
I did a whole sermon on this last year, but contrary to popular opinion, we're not gonna spend eternity as these disembodied spirits with these choir robes, like playing a harp on a cloud, praise the Lord, that sounds boring. No, Jesus showed us what it's gonna be like. Now, if you're in Christ, when you die, it's like stepping through a door. It's like closing your eyes and opening them and finding yourself in the presence of God in heaven, but not for long because we're gonna watch as Christ Jesus comes back down to earth. And in that moment, we're gonna receive our physical bodies back again. And some of you are like, not this again, no, no, no. It's gonna be better. It's gonna be a glorified body. Paul says that Jesus was actually the first fruits. He was the first in a long line of people that will experience this. And 1 Corinthians 15, he says, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. So resurrected, glorified bodies. And we'll watch as Jesus recreates the earth and then brings heaven down to earth. And that's our future. In a physical body, on a physical, perfect world, hanging out with each other, seeing Jesus face to face. That's something to look forward to. Not only that, the resurrection also changes your present. If this is true, that Jesus really did rise from the grave and he really is the savior that he proclaims to be, and he's coming back one day, that means that we have work to do, doesn't it? It means that we have, he's left us in charge of making this gospel, this proclamation available to anyone and everyone, of telling as many people as we can that they have a heavenly father that loves them, a savior that died for them, and a savior that rose again, that can change their present and their past and their future. If Jesus really was resurrected from the grave, it means that we now live in the last grand act of all of human history with the most important mission ever. See that? It changes our past, it changes our future, it changes our present, the resurrection changes everything. And I could go on and on, but I want you to hear the story of a good friend of mine who was living proof of this type of change. Yeah, so grew up in a little small town called Goldsboro, North Carolina, uh, crazy, crazy, uh, family life. My real dad, uh, when I was early on, just he was in prison. He got in a bunch of crazy stuff, and so he spent most of his life in prison, so I didn't really have a great relationship with him. And uh, my mom was married a few times, and, and a lot of those dudes were crazy. Crazy dysfunction, every kind of abuse you can think of in our house, it was there. Growing up in that environment, um, it was rough. You know, I spent a lot of years just trying to find purpose. By the time I, you know, was junior, senior year of high school, I was getting heavy into drugs, um, starting to sell drugs. I thought I was a little gangster. Um, and, you know, carry around a pistol with me. Before you know it, graduate high school and my ex-girlfriend, she ends up getting pregnant. And um, when we were faced with that reality, we ended up deciding we're gonna do an abortion. And I was already at a, a very dark place there, but that really sent me off the edge. For like six months, I could not get my hand on enough drugs, enough drinking. I, I ended up homeless because I was so strung out. And I was like, I'm done. I'm gonna take my life. And I drank like a fifth in an hour. I popped like 30 pills. I blacked out. And I don't know if I thought that was it or what happened, but I remember laying outside of my car. My car door was open and I'm laying like face down in my throw up. I broke down. All the things I felt like I was trying to run from, the, 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 the problems growing up, the abuse, my dad being in prison, all the choices I had made up to this point. But I remember just in that moment being so overcome and just weeping, just crying for hours. And I remember after crying, I remember just thinking like, 
to call this dude named Ruben. And I was like, and, and what's funny about Ruben is for like a year up to this point in my life, he used to always just try to tell me about Jesus and buy me food. So I called him. I said, Ruben, I've been doing all of these things. I don't know where to turn, but I feel like I'm here still for a reason. I don't know why. And he's like, you should come to this summer camp our church is doing. And so I, I ended up going to this camp, uh, having no idea what to expect. There was a message that night. Uh, this guest speaker was preaching, and he was talking about how this man named Saul in the Bible became Paul. And, and the whole time he's talking, I felt like he's talking right to me. I didn't know if Ruben told him my story. I'm just like, how does he know everything about me? And, and the whole time he kept talking about this man named Jesus and how he offers forgiveness and he offers a new way of life and he offers peace and he offers hope. And so I like run forward to this altar and um, I, he doesn't even tell us to do this, but I just get on my knees and I just start asking forgiveness for all these choices I made. And I remember saying a prayer after that. I don't even know what I prayed. It just was something from my heart of like, you know, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want this life. I want to. I want to turn away from all those things and I, I really want new life in you and it was a game changer. It was like every salvation, death to life. I, I walked away from that camp, a changed man. Once I left camp, I mean, my whole world was different. I kept getting these opportunities, people would ask me to speak or whatever and I'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I remember the first time I got to, to speak to a group of people and I remember these people coming forward and giving their life to Jesus the first time after I preached. And I just remember like, just weeping, just thinking like, oh my gosh, like, I wanna do this the rest of my life. Like, if this is like a job or if this is something I can do, this is what I wanna do. Like, I wanna tell people about Jesus. I want him to, to be so real to people that they can experience him in the way that I did. Before Jesus, I was, I was broken. I was hopeless, full of shame, full of anger. And uh, after I met Jesus, just so much hope, peace, joy, love. If God can do it in my heart and in my life, it, He can do it in yours. And I would just tell you, don't give up. You are here for a purpose. You're here for a reason. You're not here by accident. And if His love can meet me in the middle of that throw up pile, when I had given up all hope, his love can meet you wherever you are. He is risen, he is risen indeed, and that truth, it changes everything. So for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, hopefully this was a good reminder because it's so easy to sway into hopelessness and despair. But for those of you that haven't yet stepped into that sort of resurrection life, who maybe are still in a life of hopelessness and despair and purposelessness, I wanna tell you all of that can change right now. Jesus said that if you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am Lord, the resurrected Lord, then you can enter into that life where your past is redeemed, where your future is filled with hope and where your present has purpose. And I wanna give everyone an opportunity to do just that. So online across all of our campuses, you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you have yet to step into that type of, of, of life, I want you to know it's a free gift that you can receive right now. And it's as simple as praying a prayer. And so maybe a prayer, a prayer, something like this. There's nothing magical about this, but just pray, Father, I have been in hopelessness. I have been in despair. I haven't been experiencing the life that I was designed to experience. And the reason is because I'm still in my sin. But I heard today that I can because of Jesus's life and because of his death and most importantly, because of his resurrection. 
And so, Father, I pray that you would draw me close, that you would draw me near, that you would wash me, that you would cleanse me, that you would forgive my sins and free me from the power of sin, and that you would fill me with your spirit and send me out with greater purpose. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Still, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer first, that was the most important and best decision that you can ever make. And I wanna ask you to do two things. If you're online, I wanna ask you to, to hit that raise your hand button. Uh, and I want you to just raise your hand, whether symbolically or at one of our campuses, just as an act of confession, as an act of saying, I'm identifying, I'm saying out loud that I believe that Jesus is Lord. And secondly, I want you to tell someone. I want you to move over into that chat. I want you to tell a pastor, one of our volunteers, hey, I said that prayer. I wanna start a new relationship with Jesus. And we just wanna celebrate that with you. And we wanna help you take your first few steps in that life. So for all of us, Father, we pray, thank you so much that you were willing to come for us, that you were willing to die for us, but also that you were willing to rise from the grave for us and on behalf of us. Father, we want that resurrection life. And because of that, we won't just praise you for a day or for a week or for a year, but forever we will glorify our resurrected King. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.